Hey everybody, welcome to the Crush Hell Academy podcast. I am your host, Bob Argyle. And happy freaking Friday. Yes, it's the freaking weekend. And it's actually going to be a beautiful weekend. And I'm looking forward to it. And this podcast I worked very hard on. I was more prepared than I've been in quite some time for one of these episodes. Talking about the system we have in place at our shop. And the plans going into week three. And everything I plan on doing in week three to get this job done. However, first, you'll have to bear with me as I try to figure out who the hell blew up my bathroom. Sit back and relax, and welcome to today's episode. Oh, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Hope you're all doing well, finishing up your weeks, and uh, have something cool planned for this weekend, because from what I hear, it's going to be probably the last decent weekend that we see for quite some time. I don't know if that's the truth, but it's supposed to be really warm, really hot this weekend, so do something outside. That's all I'm going to say about that. So this morning, we've been just going, going, going. For I think we're in day 13 now of this job, and things are cranking along nicely. But uh, it's just been, it's one of those things, like these these wholesale hail jobs, um, for them to be profitable and for us to really hit our targets, um, we got to move, man. We really got to move. So we find that like through the day, um, it, just, it never seems like I have enough hours in the day. Um, there's always an issue that's arising somewhere uh, part on the car breaks, uh, maybe some paint pulls on something, and all of a sudden we got a body shop. In it. Or it, it seems like every morning when I walk into the shop, it's like it, it just happened to me this morning. Perfect example. I walk into the shop. One of our guys, Jay Wilson, awesome dude, um, he gets there a little before me in the morning. So he has a chance to kind of assess. It's usually him or Tyler. Um, these are the guys that kind of hold down the day shift for me. Um, awesome, awesome guys. So in the morning, I know when I get there, <laughs> I get my coffee. I have a little time to maybe, um, I don't know, catch a little bit of the news on the TV in the, in the front room. And then as I walk back into the shop, I'll see these guys working and they're just working away and they see me come in and their tools immediately drop and they just give me the look and they start walking towards me. I'm like, oh shit. Okay, here we go. And that's exactly what happened this morning. Jay comes up to me and he's like, Hey, um, come on out. I hate to do this to you first thing, but come on out. And he had, there was a vehicle that was being fixed on the night shift and there was a couple of issues with it. Um, nothing crazy. We're going to be able to work through it, but I had to kind of deal with that this morning and get those fires put out. And we also, today is, um, delivery day. So today is the day that, uh, the dealership's going to bring a lot more cars and they're also planning to pick up a lot of cars. So I have to make sure that everything is QC'd. I got to make sure that everything is parked out front. All the, the cars we're delivering are parked out front. So when the dealership sends their drivers over, um, they just got to grab the cars and go and then drop the, the fresh batch. So it's a lot of work to get these ready, get them logged into the system. Um, with 140 cars, last thing you want to do is deliver vehicles without entering them into the system because then you forget to invoice them. And next thing you know, you're costing yourself thousands of dollars just because you didn't have your shit together. So it's stressful. 
Fridays and Mondays tend to be the most stressful days for me. So once I worked through all that, uh, everybody was good. Everybody was kosher. 16 guys in this building, all right? Between the day shift and the night shift, we have 16 men in this building and more on the way, more on the way that will be here for Monday. So it's a lot of work to get everybody situated, make sure everybody's got an issue, everybody's got something going on. Everybody just, sometimes people just want to talk. That's it. They just want a small talk. They're sitting there staring at these panels all day and they're about to lose their mind and there's no end in sight right now because we've got a hundred more to do. And you got to take time for that. You got to check in with your people. You got to make sure everybody is, is cool and nobody's about ready to go postal. So after I do that, um, I had some service calls I had to go tend to because although we are consumed with all these cars right now, we can't forget that we have almost 200 other shops around the state of New York that don't give a crap that we have 140 cars to do in 60 days in Syracuse, New York. They don't care about that. So when they call, they want me to show or they want one of our guys to show. And luckily, while I have the guys in the shop working for us, I have my guys on the road that are holding it down for us and they're getting to these shops, but they can't get everywhere. So I still have to go out and I still have to handle some service calls as well. So I'm on my way. I'm doing some service calls today. Everything is going good. I'm starting to kind of be like, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about the weekend. I'm looking forward to it. Everything's going to be good. And I get a text from Dave. <laughs> and the first part of the text was, hey, and, and just to kind of frame this for you, we buy these big, massive packages of toilet paper for that shop. Reason being is we do a lot of enterprise work. And Enterprise delivers cars to us. Like they'll deliver them to the shop. And then after the repairs, they come and pick them up. And what Enterprise does is they have, I can't say that they're all retired, but a lot of the guys they use to drive are guys that, you know, they've had their careers. They're getting up there in the years and they just, they want something to do. They want to get out. They want to interact. They still want to earn a check. So this works very well for them. And they're great guys. We love them. They come into the shop and they have coffee and they tell stories and they blow up our bathroom. They literally blow up our bathroom. And I mean, they're older men. I mean, I, I guess when I'm 65, 70 years old, you're going to find me in the bathroom the majority of the time. So like everybody that comes in, they come in to drop a vehicle, they grab a coffee and they go into the bathroom. <laughs> so we always have to be stocked up on the TP. And Dave sends me a text today and he's like, dude, we're, we're getting low on the TP because not only do we have our enterprise drivers who we love, we have now 16 to 20 grown men in this 8,000 square foot facility. You would think that would be plenty of room, but we have three facilities, three restrooms. So when these men came in, <laughs> I had a sheet of guidelines that I handed out to them, things that we expect while they're in our shop, being respectful to our shop. Coming in off the road, we're, we're appreciative that you're here. And we just need you to understand that while you're here temporarily, we have permanent employees here. We have people that come here every day <laughs> and we need to respect the property. That's all. And it's usually a very simple conversation. It's done. These guys are professionals, right? They aren't coming in to do damage to our property, but it's a conversation that you just need to have in the beginning, just to make sure that the ground rules are laid 
and to make sure that this, you know, this job goes as smoothly as possible. So at the beginning of the job, I told him, I said, look, we have offices upstairs. We have two private bathrooms, very nice bathrooms, beautiful bathrooms, clean. And then downstairs, we have our customer entrance bathroom. And that's where most of the enterprise dudes go. So what we told the new guys that came in, the contractors, was, look, number one, you can go downstairs. Number two, please take it upstairs. We're walking around this room downstairs, this customer entrance. Yeah, we've got customers coming in and out. We don't need to be smelling that. So it went pretty good. And I haven't been up in those offices really that much recently. We've got a lot going on. So the text that comes to me today was, number one, we need more TP. We're just about out. And number two, somebody blew up the bathroom upstairs and everybody is grossed out. Like, like it's made its way through the shop. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's questioning everybody. Who the hell blew up that bathroom upstairs? Because they didn't just blow up the bowl. They got it on the floor, which just creates thoughts in my head that somebody is literally doing the electric slide in my bathroom upstairs, you know, just being a dick about things. And it's gross. It's absolutely disgusting. So we have this one guy, Tyler, at the shop. He would give you the shirt off his back. I mean, he's over the top with it, but, but it's genuine. It's genuine. It's just who he is. And he's here with his girlfriend, and she's actually doing some R&I stuff for us. She's very good at that. So she's working. He's working. He comes up to me numerous times a day to just help me out. Just anything that I need. Just to, He's just so grateful to be here and to have the work. And it's contagious. And it's working its way through my entire shop. So it didn't surprise me when Dave texts me. And he says, Tyler says he's going to go clean it up. And I'm like, oh my God, no. Tell Tyler to leave it alone. He doesn't need to clean that up. Number one, I know it wasn't Tyler. Because he wasn't raised in a barn. And he's not that type of dude. And number two, I, I brought him in here to... <laughs> to fix cars for me. I didn't bring him in here to clean the toilets. That's this is this comes with my job. This is my territory, right? I'm overseeing the job, and it that doesn't mean that I just sit around and collect checks, all right? We need to be respectful of this building. This is Dave and Heather's building. This is my business partner's building. So I need to make sure that when these guys are coming in, they're being respectful. So now I got to go back down there and I got to clean up these bathrooms today on my Friday because some dude, I don't even know what, I mean, how do you, how do you get it on the floor? That's the part that I'm struggling with right now because it's almost like it's harder to get it. It's like he tried. It's like, he, it's like he said, you know what? I know the normal thing to do right now is to put my ass on this toilet seat and to do my business. But you know what? I'm in Syracuse, New York and I'm going to try something different today. I don't know how it happened. I have no idea, but it's on the floor. It's quite a mess. And now I got to go down there and I got to clean this up. So I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what I'm going to find out when I go down there. I will find out who did it. And the problem is though, we've had five guys that have left, which I'm thinking are probably the candidates because these guys that left are guys that came in and great guys, but they couldn't handle the work. The, the work was a little too severe for them. So they came in and they're like, look, I'm, I'm just going to cut my losses and I'm going to go because this isn't, you know, this job is over my head, which I'm like, all right, you know, I can respect that. If this job's not for everybody, it is heavy damage. So I'm thinking, 
I had some guys come in off the road from, you know, pretty far away. So if I'm coming into a job and I'm deciding that the job's not for me and I don't know, maybe I'm upset that I didn't make the money that I needed to make. I don't know. Are they the ones? Are one of those guys the ones? Because if they are, if one of those guys did it, I'm never going to see them again. <laughs> so I'm just going to have to clean it up. And I don't know if anybody, I mean, who's going to tell me that, right? I can go up to everybody in that shop today and be like, hey, was it you? <laughs> and just, and just stare them in the eye until they break. Like, I'll just give them that, I'll have that raised eyebrow going like the rock does. And I'm just going to stare at them until they break. And I'm going to have to do that to each one of them. But it's gross. It's disgusting. We're all grown-ups here. It kind of reminds me of when I was just out of high school. We had some of the, the best memories I ever made was in this house on Maple Ave in Cortland. It was me and four other dudes and my dog, Luke. And we had some unbelievable house parties in this place. And I remember a number of mornings. You know how you, it, it all sounds like a good idea Friday night. And then you get up Saturday morning and you're, you're, it's damage assessment time. You're walking around the house. You're, you're seeing holes punched in the walls or, you know, God knows what. People still laying on your floors, maybe still having fun, for our, if you know what I mean. We found everything in this house. And the thing that used to get me all the time were the bathrooms. The bathrooms were absolutely disgusting. It was like Animal House. And... We're, we're beyond that, aren't we? Aren't we beyond that? I'm 43. Half the guys that are there are, I don't know, late 20s, early 30s, good people, professionals. <laughs> don't you think that somebody, and the other half are older than me, much older than me. But So we've got a pretty good mix there. But I would think that most of these guys know, um, I don't know, I always do it. Maybe it's just me. I mean, if I would be horrified if I went into somebody else's bathroom and and like blew it up like that. And I mean, I guess I was just raised in a way that I know to turn around <laughs> when I'm done. Even when I'm at my house, it's just one of those things. You just you turn around, you make sure everything's good and that uh you're being respectful, especially in somebody else's facility. Weren't we all raised that way, though? Let's be honest. If you weren't raised that way, I don't know. I'd question your upbringing. But, and I'm very fired up about this this morning, if you can't tell. And in the interest of everybody who's still listening to this podcast right now, I'm going to move on. So enough about that. That's my own problem. I just thought I would share that with you all. So... This week, I thought it might be fun to talk a little bit about the job that we're on right now, because it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool thing for, uh, for those of you who were listening to my podcast back in the day that I did, I think it was like episode three or four. I was down in South Carolina and I was working at a plant, a manufacturing plant. And, um, I was just blown away by the systems that they had. To make an operation of this size, thousands of cars a day rolling off their assembly line and one after the other ready to go to the dealer. Like quality control checked, um, 
just built perfectly and ready to go. And the system that it took, the specialized jobs, hundreds of people from the start of that assembly line to the end of that assembly line, doing very precise, intricate, specialized jobs. They had a very specific role. That's it. It would look very simplistic, very mundane when you stand back and watch what they were doing. Some people were just literally just snapping in one piece of trim and the car would move on. But they had it set up this way because what it does is it limits the opportunity for mistakes. And I was just blown away by this, watching this done. And I bought in. I bought in. And in the system that we have, although not nearly on the scale of that, but we have something very similar that we've implemented in our shop to be able to get these 140 hail damage units done and done under the target that we set, the 60-day the target. That's the target that we set, but I would love to come in at 45 days, and that's what I'm shooting for right now. So we got to have a system that's going to make sure that we get through these vehicles as efficiently, as quickly as possible. So in our business, you're going to find we have two different types of jobs. We have a wholesale job and we have a retail job. Now, most of my career, I've been on the retail side of things. It's just, it's where I find my fit. And I have the most expertise on the retail side of things, meaning in a body shop. So when a hailstorm comes through a community, you'll have two different types of companies swarming that community. And you'll have one type of company that just flocks to the dealers because they want to go and they want to get a large amount of cars in one spot and do those cars for less than retail, make their money and go home. Then you have companies like ours where we'll literally drive right by the dealership to get to the body shop because I want to get to the body shop and set up in the body shop where I'm writing a legitimate retail estimate. We're working off the insurance ticket. So I look at the damage, I write the actual estimate and then I submit that. That's the money that we get paid to fix the vehicle. And we take our time with the vehicle. We make sure that the vehicle is, is repaired correctly. And we get the correct amount of money for it. And when you get the correct amount of money for it, that affords you that opportunity to slow it down a little bit and make sure you do a better job. When you go into the wholesale side of things, that tends to be where the dealership says, all right, this is how much money my insurance company paid me for each car. So the insurance company, because the something that a lot of people don't know is the dealer doesn't actually own those cars. The dealer has floor plan insurance. So the dealer basically finances those cars. So they get all these cars brought in. A hailstorm comes, right? Strikes that lot. They then have to call their insurance company that comes in, assesses the damage, and then goes to the dealer and says, look, I've looked at all of your inventory and I think you have $5,000 worth of damage on each vehicle. If that dealer has 200 cars, that insurance company minus their deductible cuts them a check for the balance after the deductible for $5,000 times 200. That dealer then is sitting there with this big massive check and he turns around to three, four, five companies like mine and says, okay, Who's going to fix my cars for the cheapest? And that's where 
they kind of start to work the companies into a frenzy because they're competing with each other and they're taking this work for, uh, well, they're fixing these cars for much less than you would be fixing them for across the street where we are in the body shop, fixing them off the insurance tickets. It's tough to do wholesale, especially if you use technicians like I use who are used to working retail. For me, all of a sudden, to take my techs who have been working off the insurance tickets all year and say, look, we're going to fix this damage for a lot less, that's a hard sell for them. And the tendency is they want to rush. They want to start rushing at that point because they're looking at this vehicle and they're saying, if I was fixing this very same vehicle in a body shop right now, I'd be getting paid, you know, $5,000 for this car. But because Bob has 140 of these cars and he's negotiated a lower deal, I'm now fixing these cars for this much. And it's, it's the nature of the business. It's how you land a contract of that size. And I had to do it on this one to protect the body shop keep our client happy. Um, it's still a good gig, don't get me wrong, but it's not the money that they're used to making. So wholesale for me, it's just not where I enjoy being. Now this job, we had to. We had to take it and it's going to be okay in the end, but it's just, it's a different animal for me and it's why I don't really enjoy doing the wholesale. So with this job, the dealership calls me up and says, hey, we just recently purchased 140 hail damaged vehicles from auction at a discounted rate. We're having them shipped back to our lot. Would you like to bid on it? Naturally, yeah. I, I mean, I'm in the business. I do want to bid on it. So I went ahead and I submitted a bid on these cars, knowing that the, ins the dealership did not have insurance on these cars. So it wasn't a matter of I could write an estimate up and submit it to the insurance company. The cars had already been purchased. The dealership already had in mind what they could spend on these vehicles to be able to then turn around and sell them once repaired and still make a profit. So then it was up to me to say, okay, so this is how much you need to be able to spend. This is where you need to be. Now I need to make sure that I can staff this deal for that number. I want the work. I want to get this done for you, but it does me no good to go ahead and land this gig right here. If I can't even back it up, I need, I'm not going to fix 140 hail cars myself. I need to be able to find technicians that want to come in and help me repair these vehicles. So I have to then sit there and crunch the numbers in my head, knowing what my team of guys are used to making on a daily at a daily rate. They have it in their in their mind already. They're coming in off the road. They have expenses. They're eating out three times a day. They have hotel rooms. They have travel expenses. They have insurance. They have all sorts of overhead for their business. So they have a number in their mind that they would love to make per day. And then they have a number in their mind that's like their bare minimum that's still profitable for them to be at that job. So I that's where I'm a little bit different when I'm, when I'm sizing up a wholesale job, the few times that I've done it, a lot of companies out there that do wholesale, strictly wholesale for their business, they, look, they kind of approach it differently. They decide first what they want to make off every car. 
And then they turn around and throw the rest to the tech. And a lot of times, in my opinion, that sets them up for issues because more times than not, they're underpaying the tech drastically. So what I had to do, I look at it differently. I say, okay, I want to make sure that my tax can make a fair daily rate, something they're going to be happy with, and then I'll take my fee after they are taken care of. So without sharing that number, I knew once I crunched the numbers, I was like, okay, I believe I can staff this job. With the numbers that you guys are giving me, where you guys need to be, I feel that I can get my team of technicians to come in and fix these vehicles for a number that's going to allow me to make my profit because I'm not doing it for free. I'm not in business to just provide work for technicians. Um, I need to make a living too. So that's how I sized this job up. Next, I figured out basically going off. I've been doing this for 20, almost 22 years now. So I have an idea. The only way I can really do this when I'm going in and I'm beginning to negotiate with a dealer on this is I know how long in my mind it would take me to fix that vehicle. And that's what I use is the measuring stick. So I'll look at the vehicle and I'll say, okay, this vehicle for me would take me two days to fix. I'm going to have technicians that are faster than me. I'm going to have technicians that are slower than me. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle of the road, but I factor that in as well. How long will it take technicians to fix these vehicles? Continue to crunch the numbers. If it's taken a technician two days to fix this vehicle, this is how much money he's going to make if I negotiate this price on the car. If the technician is getting through this vehicle a little quicker, he's going to do slightly better. If he's doing, if he's getting through it a little slower, he's going to do slightly worse. But after I have those numbers, then I say to myself, okay, I'm confident that we can have this job done with 16 technicians in 60 days, all 140 cars, make sure that they're all going to make their money. They're going to be happy. It's, it's September. Hail has pretty much stopped for the year. I know I still have technicians that want to work. So I decided it wasn't going to be an issue for me to find technicians to come in and help us staff this job. I also decided that I could pay them at a rate that they were going to be happy with. And that, and then after that, I knew I was going to make my money as well. So it was going to be profitable for me as well. It was worth my time to go ahead and staff this job for this dealership. So we closed the deal. I then get on the phone. I start mobilizing the technicians. I start getting everybody heading my way. I start working out the details with the dealer, deciding what they want from us, what we're going to be doing on these cars. We're not only fixing the cars, we're doing all of the R&I, meaning we're tearing the vehicle down repairing the vehicle, then completely reassembling the vehicle when we're done. We're doing two different QC processes in the shop. We're also replacing the scalps, the belt moldings, the drip moldings. So the plastic pieces on the cars that were also damaged, the dealer is sending the cars to us with all of the replacement parts in the, you know, inside the vehicle. And then we're swapping out those parts and sending the vehicles back to them completely fixed, ready for service and ready for detail. So this brings me back to my experience that I had at the automotive factory in South Carolina. The margins, number one, aren't very high. The profit, 
margins, okay? It's a high volume of work, but the margins aren't what I'm used to dealing with normally on the retail side of things. So that tells me that we need to run an extremely efficient process here. We don't have room for mistakes. We don't have room for mishaps. We need to make sure that we get this job done quickly, efficiently, cleanly, and get the hell out of Dodge and be done and get on with our lives. So that required a system that was going to ensure when I'm not in the shop, the wheels continue to move. So what we decided to do was to have two shifts. The only way we were gonna get through these cars in 60 days before snow starts flying, because that was another ask that the dealership had. It usually doesn't start snow until what? End of November, early December. The dealership wants these cars back so they can put them on their lot and they can hopefully sell them before the snow starts flying. So we need to make sure that we get these vehicles back to them in a timely fashion so hopefully they can get them sold. So the only way this was going to be done was with two shifts. That was it. We have a big shop, but it's not that big. We can't put all 16 to 20 technicians in that shop during the day because this shop is also doing business during the day. They're doing a ton of enterprise work and Avis work and uh, regular retail work, collision jobs. So I can't just shove 16 hail repair technicians into that shop during the day. The only way I was going to make this happen was to have a day shift and a night shift. The day shift fills up very easily. The night shift, not so much. However, we were able to get it staffed and we're moving with two full shifts right now. I've also put a storm leader. I had to come up with a, a team leader. We call them a storm leader. When I have a shop that I'm running, knowing that I can't be there all the time, I name somebody as, as the manager, basically. They're the storm leader, and I pay them a little bit more to kind of handle the paperwork, deal with customers, deal with the shop owners, um, handle any issues, put out any fires for me so I don't have to be the one running over to that shop all the time. So I did the same thing in the shop. I have a daytime storm leader and I have a nighttime storm leader. So what we have is we have the technicians that are repairing these vehicles. We have somebody outside that is completely tearing down the vehicles and getting them ready for repair. At that time, I'm also logging the vehicles into the system. We're walking around the vehicles doing a pre-inspection and we're noting any damage to these vehicles because they're used vehicles. They got about 10,000 miles on them. So they, do, they did have a life before they came to us. So we have to note any kind of damage that we see enter into the system. If it's something more that we can fix, um, we go ahead and we create an estimate and we submit that to the dealership so we can upsell them for other damages that we see on the cars. But first and foremost, it covers our ass. Because if we don't notify the dealer of what we're finding on these vehicles, naturally, when we send the vehicle back to them, they're going to say, ah, look what you did to our car. So then we're going to eat it. So we have to be very careful to go around these vehicles, check all the electrical components, make sure the dome lights are working, the windows are working, the radios are working, uh, the backup cameras are working. Make sure that every component on this vehicle, sunroofs, everything, is working correctly. If it's not, we make note of it. Then we begin to tear the vehicle down and we have all the vehicles staged in a line back behind the shop 
And as the technicians need them, as they get through their vehicles, they just go out, they grab another vehicle, and they pull it in. The technician then repairs the vehicle. I have techs that are repairing a whole vehicle in one day. I have technicians that are taking two days. I have techs that are working together as a team with another technician that are fixing a car in a day. Some are taking two days. So it's kind of all over the map, depending on speed, right? So the technician repairs the vehicle. Once it's done, the tech that fixed the vehicle is responsible for going around it and just looking it over, making sure that he didn't miss anything on there. And then once they're done, they notify the storm leader that that vehicle is ready to pull out of the shop. It's ready to go back into reassembling. So the storm leader then comes over and he's responsible for looking the vehicle over as well. He's the second set of eyes that looks this vehicle over and makes sure that the work looks good. Make sure that the vehicle is going to pass the dealership's QC team. Once the storm leader decides that that vehicle is ready to go back outside, the vehicle's pulled outside where our R&I technician then begins to put the vehicle back together. Very specialized, very specialized. Instead of having one guy do all of this where mistakes might start to happen, we're keeping the jobs, we're keeping the roles very specific. So then the vehicle goes out and I have one person Actually, we have two. We have one in the day, one at night that are just responsible for putting the vehicles back together. That's all they do. They don't fix dents. They don't know how to fix dents, but they do know how to disassemble and reassemble these vehicles. Soup the nuts, which is pretty impressive to see them do it. So they plug everything back in. They get everything put back together. Then the R&I technician does a QC on the vehicle. Make sure that everything is working. Everything's been plugged back in. There's no, uh, no codes have been tripped. Uh, sunroofs are working. Headlights, taillights, blinkers. Everything is working on the vehicle. Once they confirm that, they then pull it back outside and they notify me. I am the final set of eyes on these vehicles. It's my name on this. So if we have a vehicle that gets through our QC process and gets caught at the dealer, who do you think they're going to call up and bitch at? me. So usually a few times a week, I have to go in and I've got a batch of cars then that I then have to sit in, check all the components, look over the work, everything. And I'll note things that I still want to touch up. It happens on a lot of the cars. I'll see something then. The car looks beautiful, but I might notice a little low on the the rail. Or I might notice a little low in the middle of the hood. Just something that the, I mean, these techs are fixing thousands of dents on these vehicles. So to them, by the time they're done with that car, it looks beautiful. But a new set of eyes on that car, looking at it the way a customer or the dealer ownership group is going to look at these cars, I notice other things. So then I go over it and I do a couple final tweaks on it, stuff that catches my eye. And then I put the final seal of approval on the car. I then log it into the system. I make sure that I know that that vehicle has been QC'd. And at any time, if the dealer calls me for an update, I can open my laptop. I can tell them where in the process that specific vehicle is. The dealer then comes down, picks up the vehicles, drops off a new batch, and we start the whole process over again. That dealer then takes those cars down to their shop where they have the ownership group, the body shop manager, 
the buyer for the dealer, the guy that bought all these cars in the first place, and they have an in-house dent guy. They all walk around these cars. They look these cars over with a fine-tooth comb. And if they find anything, they let us know. They haven't found anything yet. This process is working. The system is working. If I had a different type of system, if I had every technician doing their own R&I and doing their own QC, doing their own pre-inspection, can you imagine the issues we might have? By keeping these roles specialized, we're able to crank out a high volume of cars in a very short period of time and have a consistent result. Today is the end of week two. We're having another 20 cars dropped off, 140 cars total. And with the 20 they drop off at the end of week two, we will be at 50 cars that the dealer has delivered to us. So we're a third of the way through after week two. So we're trending up. Last week was a shit show, start to finish. We had guys rolling in. We had certain guys that were coming in and saying, nah, this isn't for me. I had one dude that came in. He's on my team. He's on my New York team. Great guy. I hold nothing against him. But it was kind of funny. I chuckled because this damage is heavy. He shows up and we made some small talk for a little while. And I said, hey, I'm going to go get a coffee. He's unloading when I leave. We're talking as he's unloading his truck and pulling all his tools out and everything, making great conversation. I say, hey, I'm going to go get a coffee. You want one? No, I'm all good. I go two blocks to Dunkin' Donuts. I get my coffee. <laughs> I pull back into the shop maybe 15 minutes later, maybe, and he's loading back up. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, where are you going, man? And he's like, yeah, this isn't for me. This work is too heavy. I'm just going to call it. I was like, oh, okay. And I can respect that, whatever. It is what it is. It was only going to lead to problems. <laughs> so, But that's the type of stuff that I dealt with all week one. Okay, Week one, we delivered six cars. Week one, I was sweating it out a little bit. But once we got the correct team in there, once we got the system implemented, once everybody started buying into this system, it's, actually, it's a well-oiled machine already. And the amount of progress we've made from last week to this week is light years. To be a third of the way through after three weeks, that puts us right back on track. We're starting to trend up. And I'm feeling highly confident we're going to be able to get this job done in two months. I really am. But this is just why I am so big on systems. This is why I preach our Dent Smart Ready system year in and year out. And I know body shops look at me like I'm crazy when I show up and talk to them about the importance of implementing a hail damage system into their business when they may have not had hail for three, four, five years. Because having that system implemented, having that system ready to go just protects them. It's like an insurance policy. So they're ready to go. And when every other shop is scattering after a hailstorm, it's pretty much plug and play. It's ready to go. Take the governor off and we're making money. And everybody is keeping their sanity. <laughs> so it's just kind of interesting how if you look at your business, you can implement systems like this that are going to make things so much easier on you. And it doesn't have to be in hail damage. It doesn't have to be in body shops. 
okay? Where in your business can you implement a system that's going to make you more efficient and save you a lot of time, hassle, and stress? Because I can assure you, if we didn't have a system like this in place, that shop right now would probably be an absolute shit show, but it's not. And we're getting through the cars at a pretty rapid clip. So I'm very happy about that. So that's it for this weekend. My challenge for you this weekend is simple and it has nothing to do with business because I've been going all week long, pretty much dawn till dusk. So this weekend, my challenge to myself was to identify three things I could do this weekend to invest in myself, invest in my peace of mind and my sanity. <laughs> so this weekend, I'm going to a street festival tonight, downtown Syracuse. It's going to have lots of food. It's going to have craft beer and it's going to have live music. So I'm meeting up with some buddies down there. We're going to go check that out tonight. Tomorrow, I'm going to find myself in front of a bonfire. That's number two. And number three, hiking on Sunday. Those are the three things that I identified this weekend that I am going to do to invest in myself. I have no kids. I've been running crazy at work. I could work through the weekend, but I'm choosing not to <laughs> because my sanity is much more important to me. So that's your challenge for this week. Identify three things that you can do this weekend to invest in yourself because Monday's going to be here before you know it. I can promise you that. So that's it for this week. I hope everybody enjoys their weekend. It's going to be a beautiful weekend. Well, tomorrow's going to be beautiful. I think Sunday's going to suck, but that doesn't matter. So get out there, enjoy your friends and family, enjoy your life, and enjoy yourself. So in closing, I'll ask you, as usual, to do a couple things for me. Number one, if you connect with this message or you know somebody that might connect with this message, I'd ask you to simply share it up. Number two, if you could find me on my Instagram page, the Robert Argyle, uh, hail season. This is my usual disclaimer. I don't share on there as much as I should, nor do I share as much as I should on my Facebook page, Robert E. Argyle, because I'm working in the business, not so much on the business. It's not an excuse. That's just my life right now. So I would love it though, if you would go find those pages and like them. If you could find my podcast on iTunes and leave me a review, that always helps. And then last and not least, find me at my blog site at robertargyle.com. Check it out for the body shop owner or the insurance professional looking for a little bit more information on proper hail management, robertargyle.com is your one-stop source. And I am going to be uploading a new blog to that actually very quickly. So um, just got a few things to button up on it and I'll be sharing that up. So thank you again for listening to the Crush Hail Academy podcast. I am your host, Bob Argyle. Make it a great day. Peace.